Sometimes I lay under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, good afternoon, folks. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back. Let's talk a little bit about some of the... uh, Prophet Isaiah and uh, the book that we've been spending at this point uh, several weeks on looking through uh, so much that has to do, I think, with things that are apropos to to understand today. And uh, last week we essentially entered into, let's see here, the the first part of chapter um, 19. And we didn't quite, um, we didn't quite get far enough that anybody thought we wanted to, uh, to continue from where we were. So we'll basically pick it up, uh, from essentially the beginning of that chapter. Uh, in any case, let me first say, uh, good afternoon once again to the regular co-host. And we're, we're happy that, uh, Ray is, um, more and more, uh, uh, on board and that he's been here every week for a while now. So that's a blessing. Anyway, let's say hi to Ray first. Um, this is Ray Harrison from, uh, the Front Range of Colorado. How are you doing, Ray? Hey, I'm very good today. How are you all out there? It's cold good. here. Yeah, well, I'm doing great. All right, and MP, you're 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 in the you're in a, per, a part of the country where it's probably still colder. Uh, although I didn't look at the weather today. It's frigid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's frigid here. We're in single digits right now, above zero though. That's the good thing. Okay. Oh yes, today's the first day we've gotten above zero in a week. Uh, yeah, that's kind yeah. of true for us as well. We're not that yeah, all far a, apart. I got a son and, some, and a bunch of grandchildren out there. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, let's what talk about we get started. where we're at. I read this last week, but let me just read the first few verses again. Uh, maybe through verse four. That's where there looks like a, a break. And uh, the the concept here is the burden against Egypt. And um, as a matter of fact, what I'll do since we have uh, read it, but I'll I'll read it again in a second, is to point out as I go through here that um, you'll see uh, and people will talk about how uh, Cush is one name that might appear in Scripture. Uh, Mitzrayim is obviously another that um, is uh, particularly uh, used in the book of Exodus to describe Egypt. And um, I can't help but think, uh, you know, if there is a parallel there, are there others as well? And uh, certainly as I go through this, my take is, as it often is, uh, take a look and see whether or not there aren't some parallels with modern prophetic events and maybe even including the United States. For example, um, Egypt is a site historically of bondage or of slavery. And uh, remember, it didn't start out that way. It started out with a bunch of people under Joseph that thought they were free and then didn't end up being so much. And also, it's a land where uh, historically fake gods have ruled the day, and a lot of things flow from all of that. So, uh, again, I think the parallels are clear. Let's read it, and um, unless unless either of you guys have a comment right up front. No, go ahead, read. Okay, let's read. Uh, the burden against Egypt. And I'm pretty sure I don't have the Hebrew here, but I'm pretty sure that's probably Mitzrayim in the uh, in the um, in the Hebrew. Behold, Yahuwah rides on a swift cloud. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. And will come into Mitzrayim uh, on the idols of Egypt. Mitzrayim will totter at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. Okay, now, 
let me pause and just note that. Yah will come riding in on a swift cloud. The idols of Egypt, or of, uh, is it truth, of modern America, will totter, will totter his presence, and the heart will melt in its midst. I, again, I can't help but think, hmm, all right, I'll set Egyptian against Egyptian. Well, that certainly is something that we're seeing set up today. Everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom, uh, California against uh, uh, the Midwest, and right, fill in the blanks. Uh, and it's not just, of course, that it's modern-day uh, America that this might apply to. One of the beauties that I have suggested about prophecy is human nature being the way it is. Uh, there are cycles in prophecy, cycles in history. And I like the Mark Twain quote where he said, history doesn't necessarily repeat exactly, but it rhymes. And again, I think that works with prophecy, too. So city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt will fail in its midst. I will destroy their council. They will consult their idols and the charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers. Now we would say the AIs and the pollsters. And um, the Egyptians will I give into the hands of a cruel master. And a fierce king will rule over them. I wonder if he'll be wearing a face diaper. Uh, says Yahuwah, uh, Yahuwah Zebuot. Okay, we'll pause there, and um, uh, Mark, let's go to you first this time. I'll let you let you kick it off. Oh, all right, I appreciate that. Okay, here we go. While we study this chapter, let's keep watching for parallels to the present situation in the Israel-Gaza situation with uh, uh, possible Gog and Magog uh, connection. Anyway, in my humble opinion. We are getting really, really close to the end of days. Now, KJB opens chapter 19 with the word Masa, Mem Sin Aleph, which EDBH translates as to draw out of water or to separate out. KJB translates it as burden. So, uh, but uh, Stone Sinuk translates it as prophecy, which is most likely the uh, proper rendering in this situation since an actual Hebrew rabbi translated it and has a better understanding of the language than the King James Version translators did, guaranteed. Anyway, burden isn't even close. So I'll go with the prophecy about Egypt. The word translated behold is the Hebrew root 2009, and it is hine. Hineni, okay? Yep, hineni, here to I am. present a new idea, which is exactly what Yeshayahu is doing right here, right now. This is something that uh, Yad knows has never crossed Yeshayahu's mind. I think it's a brand new concept for him. Yah rides into the picture on a cloud, kind of like one of those cheesy TV commercials or Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, they've actually used that particular metaphor. Rida is from the Hebrew 7392, Rachev. I'm sorry, to place a stride. If my thought in the last sentence is correct, the cloud kind of hides the horse that the king is riding behind itself. Enough silliness for now. <clears throat> Here's a drama on verse 1. They said, the, uh, the prophecy of Egypt, in verse 1, the prophet continues his series of prophecies about how the various nations that surrounded and oppressed Israel would fall foretelling in this and the following chapter, the downfall of Egypt. By the way, the following chapter is only like six or seven verses. So be sure. prepared for that. The uh, classical rabbinic Bible commentators, Rashi, that's Metsudas David and Radak, 
take this prophecy as the coming downfall of Egypt to refer not to the end of days, although end of days prophecies may be embedded in it, but rather to the disaster that struck Egypt at the hands of Sennacherib at the time of his campaign against Jerusalem. On his way to Judea, he heard that Tirhaka, king of Cush, that is Ethiopia, was coming to make war against him and went down to fight against Cush and Egypt, conquering both of them. Sennacherib then returned to Judea, bringing his captured populations with him in chains. That according to Radak on Isaiah 20 and verse 1, which we may see today, but probably not. See Rashi on verses 4 and 18 in our present chapter is what they say, and I don't have a copy of Rashi right here with me. <clears throat> so, according to this interpretation, the swift cloud upon which Hashem rides to come into Egypt in verse 1 would be the army of Sennacherib, sowing panic and civil strife among the Egyptians in verses 2 and 3. The sword, that's, uh, I'm sorry, the word that's translated swift, is H7031, Kal, and it derives from the Hebrew 7043, Kalal, to diminish substance or lessen material things. And the word translated cloud is Baal, Ayin Lamed, where you kind of swallow the Ah, you know what I mean? And uh, from the Hebrew 5743, uh, Alab, okay, uh, to becloud the sky. Yah will make some Egyptians attack other Egyptians, likely by removing their ability to discern friend from enemy. Brother fighting brother, neighbor fighting neighbor, city fighting city, kingdom fighting kingdom. In other words, your basic world war. How is he doing that? Well, you got me there. But a non-Egyptian standing off a safe distance and watching might wonder why people keep hacking away at others wearing identical uniforms and headgear. I think Yah performed one of these miracles that he is so fond of. Fond of, rather. Um, <clears throat> one way he'd do that is to make the spirit of Mitzrayim unable to insinuate itself into the Egyptian army's collective psyche. They'll, they'll see the uniform, assuming they had uniforms, and not recognize it as like his own, as it were. TSK has a pretty good comment. They say this, This is a prophecy of what took place in Egypt about 22 years after the destruction of Sennacherib's army, when upon the death of uh, Tirhaka in 688 B.C., not being able to settle ab about the succession, they continued for two years in a state of anarchy, confusion, and civil wars which was followed by the tyranny of 12 princes who divided the country among them, governed it for 15 years, and at last, by the sole dominion of Samiticus, Pisamiticus, it starts with a P, of which he held for 54 years. Now the KJV and Stone Stanach has a different than usual mistake in verse 4, which TSK picked up. Instead of a cruel lord, the Hebrew actually says cruel lords, plural. TSK again. Rather, cruel, cruel lords, agreeable to the, uh, to the LXX, the Syriac, the Vulgate, and the original Adonim Kashe. Nebuchadnezzar, who first conquered the, and ravaged Egypt around B.C. 537, 573, rather, 
and the following year. And then, not only his successors, but Cambyses, who invaded Egypt in B.C. 526, the son of Koresh, and the whole succession of Persian kings till the time of Alexander, who were, in general, hard masters and grievously oppressed the country. So roughly from the time of Nebuchadnezzar conquered Yehuda until Rome, Israel Yehuda was under the power of heathen conquerors, and truly until 1948, when Israel was given a sliver of land near where her ancestors had lived 2,000 years before, on a small part of a land grant given them by Yahzebaot himself, a small part of the land grant that Yah gave them. And that land grant has never been rescinded, regardless any squatters who may have assumed it was there for the taking. It wasn't. If the land belongs to anyone by right, it is Israel, who has right of title by a forever gift from Yudhevavhe, the creator of the universe. That's what I got through verses 1 and one through 4. Your turn. There we go. Ray, you want to... You wanna... You want me to go? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. A uh, couple, of, couple of thoughts come to my mind here, uh, especially so as we read the first verse. Uh, two, two other verses of scripture absolutely scream at me. Uh, uh, let me let me read uh, verse one one more time. Behold, uh, I'll read it out of the English Standard. Behold, Yehovah is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. That's fairly close to what we heard read before. One verse that screams at me in the past and would be known to all of uh, 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 Isaiah's uh, listeners. The days that he was writing was, it's Exodus 12, 12. And there it says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Yehovah. So clearly that that verse and, and that sentiment, that's the heart and the soul of the Passover. And every Hebrew knows knows those verses and those words. So that that would be known to them to begin with, to look at a more a, a yet distant uh verse that many of us know would be out of the book of John's uh John's Revelation, and I'm in chapter one, verse seven, and it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who have pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Uh, I, I'm kind of looking at this one, and, and Mark has got wonderful historical information for us. I'm kind of looking at this since since Isaiah speaks of not only the past, but his present, and then also our future as well. So let's talk about uh, uh, Egypt uh, here being a, a proxy for either the Gentile world or any one of the nations of, of the Gentile world. Since we all live in the United States, we can probably see things in our own country slightly more easily. In this first verse, which is really uh, an, an introduction to the Lord's judgment, what we see is, is that, that he, his purpose is to weaken national morale. Uh, he, his purpose is uh, that the, 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 their religious inclinations 
he he uh, where they would find help and solace gets confused. Um, I'm hearing something interrupting. Yeah, right I'm now. not sure what that is. I don't know what that is. It's on. You got a live MP. mic on? Uh, it's on MP. We'll I'm get trying him. to get it done. Okay. No worries. I'll wait. Sorry about that. There go we ahead. go. No, no problem. No problem. It happens. And, and finally, that that he 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 uh, he accomplishes this by by uh, creating a spirit of uh, defeatism uh, or a lack of vitality. And, and so, in the first uh, uh, in the first verse, in essence. He, he comes to uh, to make Egypt uh, feel helpless. Now, we can certainly look around in our own country at this point, and we can see those things uh, present today. Uh, our national morale, certainly many of the uh, uh, what what is left of of us as a as a nation of Christendom or a Christian nation is uh, it has been weakened significantly, and there is a marked marked spirit of defeatism that is rampant in the country right now, especially with those members of society that are 30 years old and uh, and younger. Uh, the, the the young people absolutely don't see any way forward. Uh, and and that's that's a that's a scary thing there. Um, I, I see then in verse uh, two where he talks up Talks about stirring up Egyptians against Egyptians, fighting against one another, fighting their neighbors, fighting city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Um, certainly, that can be seen. Uh, uh, the, the social division that is present in our country, and uh, 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 Mark Call said at the beginning he was talking about Egypt and talked about some attributes of Egypt. One of the things that I'll, I'll point out that's very similar to the United States is there was an upper kingdom and a lower kingdom. <laughs> Remember, it's the north and the south. Uh-huh. Uh, those those uh, those ghosts are still alive. Those uh, divisions are still here. Um, I thought in the 1980s and 90s we pretty much had that whooped. But then when we elected uh, uh, President Obama, who was hell-bent on uh, igniting the race war again, um uh, Oh, yeah. Those those have really really viciously come uh, come back uh, uh, manyfold. Things are much worse now than I remember as a young man myself. Even in the, the social division and, yes. and, and all of that is amazing. The uh, the re- uh, also just uh, the the fact that uh, <laughs> we as a nation talk about thin skin. The, <laughs> You can't you can't tell a joke. You can't listen to a joke. You can't talk about anything without somebody somehow being offended. Uh, I marvel at the fact that I'm offended most of the time, but that doesn't seem to count. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's just an amazing thing. And we see neighbor against neighbor, city against city. Certainly, we see that state against state, as Mark had pointed out. Uh, well, country against country, and, and all of that. And and it goes on to say uh, that the spirits of the uh, that the Egyptians will be emptied out, and I think that's a very 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 uh, interesting thing. So what is the spirit of Egypt? I think it is a spirit that looks to false gods for security. I think it was. Uh, I'll say what it was, and maybe you can draw your own parallels. 
It was a city, uh, it was a spirit that had a ruling class and essentially a, a ruling class, elite, and working class. We're moving uh, headlong into that uh, into that scenario again, a very medieval structure uh, of society uh, again. Uh, it, it's a, 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 a spirit of this, uh, it's the spirit of Babel. Uh, of yeah. where we can cure anything, we can do anything, AI can do anything, uh, this and that. Our doctors, boy, they can fix us up. They can inject us with somebody else's DNA, and boy, isn't that going to be great for posterity? And and just uh, these are the spirits that the Egyptians had, uh, the monument building, uh, the kingdom building, and all of that. And and I certainly see it uh, present uh, uh, in 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 our society and. And, and all this, and then finally, as you talked about the the the, the uh, that uh, Yehovah says, I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of hard masters. And thank you for yes, you're right. The master is plural; it's not one master; it's many masters. Okay. Um, the uh, we we will see those present in American society today as Baal worship, as. Uh, as the worship of Molech, it's called Planned Parenthood. Yep. Uh, as uh, worship yeah. of Ishtar, which is the whole uh, the whole sexual deviancy and, uh, and and all that. Those are all hard masters uh, that are out there that are, are are fueling society. And it says a fierce king will rule over them. Um, I don't know if we're at the point where we have gotten to the point where we will see a fierce dictator, but we are certainly getting close. <laughs> we got to see uh, that one. As, uh, you, as somebody had mentioned the, the face diaper thing and, and all of that, if you've been uh, the, the savvy person that's reading the headlines right now sees that all of a sudden we're starting to see uh, the patron saint of liars, Dr. Fauci, is his name is it's reoccurring in the press, the press yep. again. Uh, we're starting to see things happen, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's an election year. We just had the Iowa caucus. Oh, look what they did in Iowa. It's like, okay, and, and what uh, what old boogeyman will we pull out of the closet now and and whip onto the people to to start to to start to uh, uh, insist on compliance and insist on uh, uh, you know all these things. Boy, I, 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 I see it coming. They, they, they worked some of the kinks out of it last time. I, I'm sure here to hope that it's not as bad, but I, I don't know that I have that, uh, uh, that rosy view uh, of it there. And I think what's being said in the long run, and I know I'm going a little long here, but I think that ultimately there, uh, as there was in Egypt, there were, and an MP pointed this out quite well, that there were a number of dictators that then uh, ruled over the Egyptians afterwards. Uh, we have been fortunate enough, at least in, in America at this point, that uh, we have not seen that come to our shores. But um, uh, it, it, it's, boy, the jury is sure out the, the way that things are are going will will we see uh, our our move towards a dictatorial form of government is unprecedented at this time we've given up in the last 3 years so many constitutional rights exactly uh, yep it's uh it, it, the, the way has the way has been paved for it 
So that, that's kind of my present day context. I, I, I know right now things are happening all over. The riots that aren't being reported in Germany over the last several days, the farmers that have brought the nation to a halt because of what the German government is doing to I mean, this is happening worldwide. Yeah. Uh, it's happening in Holland. It's happening in France. It's happening in, in those places that we we know to have been our friends, you know, uh, in the past. All right. Well, we, that's a good place to uh, pause, and we'll pick it up after the five hour break. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for breathing. Sometimes in my tears that I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday he's a lost because. This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Tanakh edition. We're talking about the uh, uh, latter part of Isaiah. Well, I guess we're about the middle at this point, chapter 19, and the prophecy there that uh, on the surface deals with um, Mitzrayim or uh, Egypt, and um, yet on the other hand uh, certainly applies to other places, including, I guess but not limited to, uh, current United States. But if, in fact, these are the end times and we're, uh, we're getting closer to something that a lot of us kind of sense, at least, may be at hand, uh, whether or not there's another cycle, we um, we need to take a look at it with a uh, an open mind, I guess is what I'll suggest. Anyway, uh, verse 5 is where we'll continue reading. The waters will fail from the sea, and the river will be wasted and dried up. The rivers will turn foul. The brooks of defense will be emptied and dried up. The reeds and rushes will wither. The papyrus reeds by the river. And in this case, the King James authors and NKJV capitalize it, which probably means the Nile, by the mouth of the river and everything sown by the river. Again, all these are capitalized in this case, but not before. Will wither, be driven away and be no more. The fishermen also will mourn. And those who lament, all those who lament, cast hooks into the river and they will languish who spreads nets on the waters. Moreover, those who work in fine flax and those who weave fine fabric will be ashamed, and its foundations will be broken. All who make wages will be troubled of soul. Okay, um, interesting. Let's see. Uh, Ray, let's go to you this time and let you pick it up. Uh, you'd want me to go first with that? Sure. Leave so. Okay, I, I guess we'll, we'll do, in, in this case, we'll do the the new, and then go back to the old. Uh, uh, it, interestingly, here it talks about the, the I, I think what's going on in this segment is I think that uh, the Lord is is working. In, he, he in the first segment, uh, uh, moved 
working for social collapse, if you will. And he attacked uh, uh, Egypt uh, in, in a way that, that undermines their, their society. I think in this, this next segment, verses 5 through 10, what's being talked about here, at least the way I'm reading this, is that he is attacking the country on an economic footing. Uh, certainly, we all know uh, uh, we all know our geography well enough to know that uh, Egypt, the lifeblood of Egypt, was the Nile River, which ran down right uh, the, uh, uh, the right down the middle of it. Uh, and so uh, we see in verse five that it was talking about that and the canals and, and that. I think uh, Mark wanted to make a comment, so I'll, I'll stop for a second. Mark, go ahead and make your comment. Well, I, I was well, intrigued. I was I was, that was me, exactly actually, right. MP. Oh, about oh Mark, call. Okay, yeah. I, I was intrigued, Ray. Go ahead, Mark, call. Okay, yeah. Um, I was intrigued when you when you mentioned he and that uh, obviously, and I don't disagree at all, but I just think it's a, it's a <coughs> fascinating concept. That he undermined, in this case, the security of, and he meaning Yah, the creator, is undermining the security yes. of Egypt. And yeah. before that, he undermined uh, some other things, uh, you know, setting brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, and so forth. And, and as you were talking, I thought, okay, that's an excellent point. And yet, we tend to look at what's going on today and say, he meaning big brother is setting neighbor against neighbor. He, and you mentioned it yourself, Obama, who, who's coming out and setting neighbor against neighbor and raising up a racial strife and division. And it's interesting, in other words, and this, by the way, I don't think is surprising at all because it is consistent with Scripture. He says he's going to do this, that he, the creator, yod heh vav allows the um, the big brothers of the world and those who seek to do all of these things to have their way and essentially to do exactly what has been prophesied anyway. So it's kind of fascinating when you're saying he, meaning Yah, does these things. I can't help but think, yeah, he, big brother, is doing it again today as well. So that was my take on it. Uh, go ahead and, and let me turn it back to you. Um, yeah, Mark, uh, uh, I, 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 I did mean he, Yah, is, is, is enabling this. Uh, but absolutely, he's he's uh, he, he's uh, uh, allowing those human beings that are in positions of power that he has placed in positions of power, by the way, uh, to be able to do these things. And he has a purpose behind them. Exactly. Uh, and his agenda will be uh, will be fulfilled. And so, uh, yeah, we see him. We get we get awfully mad at the puppet, but we realize that there's a hand inside the puppet, uh, too. Uh, well, probably in, in more than that. one. <laughs> uh, the 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 other stuff here, and again, we can look at this on an international basis, or 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 just here. The canals will become foul. Uh, foul talking about uh, <coughs> the uh, uh, systems of transport in Egypt, uh, the branches of the Nile will diminish and dry up. Uh, the reeds and the rushes will ro- uh, rot away. Uh, again, all these ec- things that are the economic uh, lifeblood of that community at that point. But again, we look at things happening here. Uh, the Mississippi River, I don't know the state of the Mississippi today, but a year ago, the Mississippi uh, was, uh, there was an unprecedented drought in the in the river to the point where many of the big barges couldn't get up past, I think it was St. Louis. Yep. Uh, or maybe not even that far. And they were finding, oh golly, they were finding uh, paddle wheel wrecks uh from the uh, from a century and a half ago, in, in the mud, this and that, and the other things that the the, the water levels had had dried up and all of that. 
that stuff comes to mind. The Euphrates right now uh, is uh, uh, is exceedingly dry in uh, the Middle East and, and all of that. Um, uh, again, uh, rivers are the lifebloods of, of of nations. They they're kind of the uh, you know when you're not feeling well, the first thing they do is they take your temperature. I think the river systems are are the thermometer uh, for us because they speak about the climate. They speak about all kinds of, of yeah, other things. Analogy. Yeah, the fishermen. You know, it says they will they will lament uh, the ones that catch them by the hook, the ones that catch them by the net, uh, all of that. The workers that uh, made flax. Of course, you have to have water to grow flax, and that's uh, te- the textile industry and all of that. The weavers, the cotton, those that grow cotton, those that uh, pick cotton, those that spin cotton into thread and all those sorts of things. Uh, 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 and those who are pillars of the land will be crushed. Uh, I, this is, I'm going to insert my own thing here. You know what? And, and I heard this on a, on a YouTube broadcast last night concerning the farmers uh, in uh, Germany who are protesting right now. Basically, and it was a Dutch woman that was uh, that was doing the reporting. She said, these are just these are not right wing radicals as the press here is. She's talking about the press in Europe as the press here are painting them into white right wing demon, demonized radicals and all of this. And other thing. She said, these are, are the pillars of our society. These are the are the good, honest people that just want to be left alone and want to work. These are the people that, that, that grow our food. They do, these are the people that understand how to take care of the land because that's what they do. Yep. We, we, don't, we don't need idiotic uh, uh, PhDs telling us, telling a farmer how to, how to plant and what to do. They've been doing it for centuries. They know what to do. And, and her comment was, these are the people who are the pillars of society. They want to just be left alone. They're the good, honest, working people. And if verse 10, those of the pillars of the land will be crushed and all who work for pay will be grieved. And so you can see what segment of society really takes it on the chops with, with this part of the judgment. And it's the working class, it's the working class people, those that just, gosh, just get off my back and let me work. Just leave me alone. Don't pass any more laws. You know, that, that right. kind of thing. So that's, that's my lament. <laughs> Uh, up to that point, and I'll turn it over to MP. All right. I'll cover 5 through 10. That's what we read, right? Yeah. The waters shall fail from the sea, in verse 5, means that the Nile has gone bone dry. No water will flow down the Nile to the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I think the Lake Victoria will still have water in it, but it will have receded enough so as to not allow it to flow as it usually does. And... There are other people groups who are also dependent on the Nile for H2O. If when Yah causes this kind of calamity, it is for a redemptive purpose, in my opinion, uh, to awaken a people or a group of people to its or their need to repent and turn to him. Azamer has this on verses 5 through 10. Uh, Azamer is a... uh, in, in case you, you guys don't know, Azamra is an Orthodox Jewish uh, group of people, and they put out some really, really, really good stuff. If you look them up, you'll, uh, you'll like what they've got. Anyway, 
They oh, interesting. I thought Ozamra was an individual. And the water shall fail from the sea. And I'm sorry. I, I thought Azamra, You've talked about him for oh, years, no, and I always thought that was an individual. A bunch of a bunch of rabbis. Okay. A collective. No, no, it's not. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a collective of of uh, of Orthodox rabbis, and they're very very sharp people. Anyway, here's what they have to say, verses five through ten. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the river shall be wasted and dried up. This and the following verses, 5 through 10, depict the calamity to Egypt as a colossal ecological disaster in which the waters of the Nile, upon which the country is completely dependent, having no rainfall, there's very little rain falls in Egypt, dry up, causing all the vegetation, food crops and flax and etc., to wither and that the fish which were an essential part of the national diet, to disappear. However, the opinion of Radak on verse 5 is that all of this is an allegory and that precisely that precisely because of the great importance to Egypt of the Nile. The prophet depicts the destruction of the country wrought by Sennacherib as if the flow of the river had ceased. Okay, now, personally, I think that's talking about a literal... Uh, uh, drought that dries up the sea now or the river. Now I can see that as a possibility. What uh, what Azamra said, Stone Sanak has a good point though. Literally, the river, arid Egypt, depends on the Nile for its sustenance. Therefore, the drying of the Nile is a metaphor for the country's downfall. That, according to Rashi, okay, who is a very well-known Jewish. Uh, uh, expositor from 3,000 years ago. Anyway, not, what's happening is probably a drought. Both up. Go ahead. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was quite that far back, but okay, a while ago, a long time ago. Anyway, he was he was back a ways, hundreds if not thousands of years. Anyway, um, <clears throat> where was I? Oh, here we go. What's happening is probably a drought both upstream and in Egypt, and the Nile is literally drying up. One of the reasons for the Aswan Dam, by the way, they built that dam just in case they would have a drought and they needed to have some water. That's why they built that thing. It's a massive dam. It's got millions and millions of gallons of water behind it. Anyway, now the probability is that Egypt had, had done something to bring Yah's wrath down on them, that we are not necessarily privy to. Please remember that the headwaters of the Nile is Lake Victoria in Uganda. For the Nile to dry up, there had to have been a major drought upstream and possibly all over East Africa at least. We really do not want to tick Yah off if we do this, the kind of stuff he's going to do to us. Now, what were the use of the reeds that grew in the ponds in the river in verse 7? They grew up out of the waters and relatively near shore. These reeds were probably something like bamboo and could have been used to carry the water of the Nile to the neighboring towns or homes for people's use. The word reeds is from the Hebrew 7070, kane, from the Hebrew 7069, kana, which EDBH says literally means to acquire by legal means with explanatory or uh, commentary meanings of uh, 
rod or shaft, stalk, or spice taken from reeds. I have to assume that the root kana is very widely used freely uh, with just minor changes to handle all kinds of needs, while all somehow connected to the original meaning, to acquire by legal means. Now, the Hebrews 29.75 is used three times in verse 7. Uh, the word, the word uh, 27.59 is Yeor, which the KJV translates as Brooks. But EDBH says, Etymological Dictionary Biblical Hebrews says, it means to collect water. So I assume... So watch out for watch for uh, crashing lightning and stuff around you. Uh, that any channel for water, whether man or Yah made, was a yaor. Okay, that's that Hebrew that I told you about. Surely looks like the Egyptians and probably their upriver neighbors used the bamboo for the same purpose to channel the water from the river to the individual homes and buildings which were probably also made of bamboo reeds and roofed with palm leaves, I'm just saying. If there's plenty of any commodity, it will be used to best advantage by everyone in the area. It's how economics works. Meanwhile, it looks like the waters will be drying up in the rivers, including the Nile, and there will be a lot of hardship and death because of it. In verse 8, there will be a shortage of fish for the fishermen to catch, and supply for the townsfolk. Then in verses 9 and 10, the local United Flax Weavers will be out of work, too. This is describing an economic downturn and maybe a depression, which I believe we are headed for in these days, mainly due to the U.S. president's handling trillions of dollars that we don't have on unwinnable war in Iraq, Ukraine, rather. Well, Think we got to warm the southern we border too. Trillions of dollars over there, or exactly. I think that the United Flax workers create the material that the weavers weave into networks, but the weavers will be unable to make the looms work properly. All of these illusions point to an inability to understand things that were second nature before Yah brought this particular plague upon the earth. This plague is mental in my opinion, not due to any disease, but just consternation at how the normal smoothness of life went kerflui. Nothing makes any sense. Again, think the present United States president. Talk about kerflui. That guy is not even there. I don't understand how he got the, the job in the first place. But <laughs> I that's what I you. got through verse 10. Okay. All right. Uh, Ray, anything else before we uh, we move on? Maybe you're just uh, uh, just. I wondered if you, if Mark, uh, Mark Call, if you had any any economic comments. I I, I think uh, certainly agree with what what Mark was saying there. Uh, so much of the the, the life, uh, of course, the lifeblood of Egypt has to do with uh, with the Nile. And all of that, and the, and the economy, and uh, if if it dries, uh, <laughs> again, God is the source of water. Water is is life. Uh, yep. If 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 that is withdrawn, life ceases. Yes. Well, uh, it's it's a pretty easy thing to see. Uh, 
certainly in our in, in our nation as we look at economics and and all of that um gosh anybody that, that even uh runs their own family budget at home um it, you know it, it doesn't take any great uh degree of financial acumen to figure out uh that you know there's so many dollars coming in you have so many dollars set aside for uh, to pay obligations that are coming up, you have so many other dollars set aside if you can for emergencies and, and so on, and, and you have to you have to moderate your, your spending. There there are lots and lots and lots of things we'd all like to spend on. There are lots of things that, that are good causes we would like to contribute towards, but sometimes you have to you have to make uh, just tough adult decisions and decide, gosh, yeah, I really would like to do that. I really would like to help you. We don't have the money in our household at this point in time for me to do that. Perhaps the next time I get uh, some extra money, then then I can, you know, contribute to the ballerinas uh, scholarship yeah. fund or, or, or whatever it is. You know, and it may be a perfectly great thing, but uh, the – uh, we will see later on uh, uh, as we uh, as we come up that he'll start to talk about the uh, the political collapse and and the leadership. And I guess I'll I'll, I'll, I'll sharpen my knives down there. Mark Call, you have something for us? Yeah, I mean, when you when you asked the question about the economics, and and uh, Mark had had uh, gone through a fairly lengthy exposition there, it occurs to me, and this is something I talk about on other shows all the time, but I guess just a brief synopsis here. Uh, you know, yes, water is the lifeblood. There are, uh, I think, we have plenty of in- information and. Um, evidence that suggests that water is being manipulated along with the climate BS and uh, the attempt literally is to cause droughts in some areas and floods in other areas. So that's part of it. But the other thing that is literally a river when you think about it that way in the United States and it's even called the lifeblood of the world economy is diesel fuel. Diesel runs literally everything in the way of international shipping. So when you talk about international shipping and fishermen and all of those things that are involved in food production, uh, diesel fuel is used to plant the uh, grain, to uh, till the soil, to harvest it, to ship it. Then it goes on rail or trucks or boats, all of which are driven by diesel. So what is Big Brother doing and what is YAW allowing to happen? It's being destroyed. The lifeblood of the world economy, which is literally what all of this is talking about, is being gutted and destroyed to the very same end that we saw with Egypt. It is destroying, gutting the entire economy. And the sad thing is those that are at the bottom, the, the wage earners that you mentioned, uh, they are the ones that are being hurt. They don't even know what hit them is the sad part. Go ahead, Ray. And trying to replace it with electricity. Okay? That's what's amazing. Yeah. They're trying to replace the diesel fuel with electric vehicles. Well, they're not replacing it. They're, they're not replacing anything, MP. They're telling people that they're going to replace it. And people are, uh, honestly, I'll be, I'll be blunt, people are too stupid to know that uh, the electricity comes from somewhere, and they're gutting the coal-fired power plants. They're putting things in place like solar and wind that cannot even remotely begin to supply the current uses. And then what they're going to find is, you know, not only will your electric car not go anywhere in the winter because you can't run the heater, or in the summer because you can't run the air conditioning, but it won't go at all because when the power grid goes down because there ain't no power and the wind ain't blowing, you're in a whole heap of trouble. And so all of this essentially is exactly what it is that we've been warned about. 
That is exactly right. That is exactly right. Electricity cannot do all that we need it to do. What, what the what the diesel does for us, what all uh, fossil fuels do for us. Well, it's absolutely amazing that we're stupid enough to listen to this stuff. And they're not even. Really I just want one little insertion here. The the one thing that the, the Dutch uh, reporter said, the thing that triggered the big protest in Germany was the government's new tax on diesel fuel. Yeah, they yeah. know it. The, yeah. the people know it. Yeah, it's exactly Mark Call. You you nailed it. That's exactly what it was. Is they they like doubled the tax on diesel fuel, and the farmers said that's when the farmers went crazy and parked their tractors on the autobahn. Well, <laughs> well and here's here's one more thing, guys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a great picture. <laughs> just just one more quick story that essentially makes the same point. Uh, we had the uh, the continued war in the Middle East and the uh, the allowed what? shutdown of the Suez Canal, and uh, we'll talk about that just when we come back. <laughs> To the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right. Welcome back, folks. This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh Edition, and we are almost finished with Chapter 19. Got a little bit more to discuss here. But um, as we went to break, uh, the point I was going to make to kind of echo what Ray was saying was if you look at the um, the destruction, the deliberate destruction of the world's energy infrastructure in particular, but literally everything else follows from that, uh, I think it's a fascinating study to see how energy drives technology and, uh, in turn, more importantly, it drives development in society. If you don't have enough energy, a society will literally um, feed upon itself and go down. And what they've done is is destroy that infrastructure. And what we saw just as uh, we were going to the break was that the... Um the war and the uh, the effort to shut down the uh, Suez and uh, the canal there in the Red Sea essentially most recently reflected in the Qatar uh, or Qatar some say having uh, having said well we're not going to ship any LNG to Europe anymore and so Europe which was already hurting and practically freezing just lost another full 13% of their gas supply and uh, oops not good That's but right. uh, not surprising go ahead mark <laughs> i'm just I'm just agreeing with you. That's it's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, the United States destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did it on? We did it purposely, and we and we shut off Northern Europe's supply of good 
uh, natural gas. Except don't okay. say we, Mark. And, and we, course, we had nothing to do with it. Well, there was somebody. I said, don't say we. There was some criminal that did it and then lied to the American people about it. So I don't want to take any uh, any credit at all on on that hand. You mean the okay. guy eating the ice cream cone? You're absolutely right. It the wasn't fake. me yeah. that did it. I would never have done it. But that idiot in the White House and his uh, national security team. There the guy eating it. the ice cream cone. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that oh. guy. <laughs> the guy with the brain. Well, freeze. the guy pulling the ice cream cone eater's chains, the uh, the puppets, um, the puppet is basically go. dancing on the string. So we, we all understand that. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think I guess the, the key here is everything about this, the parallels, when you understand it, to the way that the creator is describing how he is going to allow this to happen uh, are exactly the kind of things we see that are happening today. Exactly. Exactly, and it's not like it, it, I mean, Yah has told us this stuff for centuries. See, I have know? told you so, and yeah. And now we're finally to the point where where what he's, that we have set us ourselves up so that he can take us down by doing this, okay? Pers- uh, personally take us down. That's, uh, and, and it's, and he's doing it through the most wicked people on the earth. Okay, I'm, t- I'm talking about our our political leadership here, political leadership in China and in Russia and in the Ukraine. I can't believe that we've actually put so much money into all of that. It's, it's absolutely crazy. We've lost trillions and trillions of dollars on Ukraine. Oh, don't get me started, please. Okay, okay, let's move on. Unless you guys want anything you else. You mean Gomer? <laughs> you got anything else you want to add, Ray? Uh, because it is, it's fascinating, and it's certainly... Uh... Oh, he said Ukraine. I, uh... Go ahead. He said Ukraine, and, and, and I'm thinking of the Sumerians. That's Gomer. Oh, oh, right? I see what you mean. I thought you meant Gomer uh, Pyle for a the, second. The nations that come against Israel. Oh, no, you mean Gomer. <laughs> no, not him. <laughs> <laughs> is that where Gomer was from? <laughs> no, he's from Mayberry. Mayberry, you know? yeah. I don't know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Gomer that you were talking about, north of the Red Sea, because that's where Gog and Magog were from. North Gomer, uh, as far as I can, I'm, I'm off topic now, but uh, basically the area up that's uh, uh, southern Russia and uh, up uh, just slightly above Ukraine. Is I believe the the biblical area of Gomer, which was originally called the Sumerians with a C. Uh, it's it's all that area there. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah, we're aiding those people. Yeah, they're the ones coming against Israel, ultimately. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're 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 real smart business partners. Well, that's the point of actually the point of all this as we get further on, is Isaiah says, and you guys want to be allies with Egypt. What do you got? Cornflakes for brains? But but what we They're need to read more before we can have that conversation. Uh, exactly, and that's a good point. And and we're going to see those parallels too. So oh. it's uh, <clears throat> go ahead, Mark. Go ahead and go ahead. Oh, now okay. go ahead and read uh, what is it, eleven to fifteen? I think that's what yep. I was headed to. Okay, surely the princes of Zoan are fools. Pharaoh's wise counselors give foolish counsel, and Pharaoh's uh, puppet masters give foolish counsel, too. How do you say to Pharaoh, I'm the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings? Where are they? Where are your wise men? Let them tell you now, and let them know that Yahuwah Zevuot has purposed against Egypt. 
The princes of Zoan have become fools. The princes of Noph, uh, ancient Memphis, uh, are deceived. They've also deluded Egypt, uh, those who are the mainstay of its tribes. Now, this is a part, I think Ray may have alluded to this, but I've got this one highlighted in my scripture here. Yahuwah has mingled a perverse spirit in her midst. Does that sound like something that might resonate today, too? And they have caused Egypt to err in all her work as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. Neither will there be any work for Egypt, which the head or tail, palm branch or bulrush may do. Okay, um, Ray, let's go to you. Tell you what, why don't we uh, why don't we head to MP first and and let's get some historical data on on this because there's a bunch, and and then then I'll come back and, and kind of give you my update. Okay, I'll do what I can. Sure. Uh, so here's a Zamra on verses 11 to 15. They say, surely the princes of Tzolan are fools. The council of the wise counselors of Paro has become brutish. Now the, that's in verse 11. Now, the Egyptian defeat at the hands of Sennacherib is uh, portrayed as a massive blunder on the part of the ruling elite. This would appear, and doesn't that sound right? Anyway, this would appear to be about uh, because what they sought to contain, the rising star of Assyria, in the hope of restoring Egyptian primacy over the entire region. Like drunkards reeling in their own vomit, in verse 14, the Egyptian princes and sages misread the geopolitical situation and misled their own people, taking them down or taking them rather out to a war that would prove to be disastrous. That's Azamra, and they knew exactly what they're talking about. First of all, KJV got the translation almost perfect. 413 years ago, it was perfect. Azamra's quote agrees word for word except the KJV says is become, and Azamra says has become. Both helper words bring present tense, okay, being present tense. Now, where are the sons of the wise ancient kings? Yeshayahu doesn't seem to see any of them. And in verse 12, he doesn't see any in this king's court either. Yeshayahu doesn't see any king's men who consult with Yah, but call up the demons for counsel. You tell them, Yeshayahu says to the king, you tell them, tell your spirit guides what Yah has told you through me, and let them try to confound the creator of all there is, including themselves. They were created by the same creator I was. Okay, all right. I kind of made up the dialogue. But it is pretty much the way Yeshayahu talked. He was fearless before the most powerful men on earth because he, that is Yah, is in charge, not them. And as long as he, Yeshayahu, is within Yah's will, nothing can truly harm him. Something might kill him physically, but nothing will separate him from Yah himself. Verse 14 is going, is going to continue to drive that point home. Still speaking of the princes of Tzolan, Yah explains why Tzolan is going down. Yah has mixed in a perverse spirit in the very middle of Tzolan. The word KJV translates as midst, in the middle of, or per permeating, of Tzolan, 
Noah and their political master, Egypt, is the Hebrew 7130 Karev to come close. Internal organs within. Okay, this is he's talking about. They're talking about doing a, doing a, a, a massive uh, removal of organs is what he's talking about. So the perverse spirit is in control of Tzoan Mitzrayim. I love how KJB translators end the verse, where the wicked spirits have caused Egypt to err in every work as a man staggers in his vomit. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's the end of verse 14. Please notice, verse 15's uh, uh, close of, uh, um, close, rather, of this section. Egypt can do nothing about any of these curses, which they have brought on themselves by disregarding the word of Yah through his prophets. Yah has taken option of obedience from the nation of Egypt because Egypt had the witness of Israel in its midst for upwards of a hundred years between Yaakov Israel himself and his offspring up to Moshe. Egypt truly had no excuse. They only had contempt. And Yah did show them what's for. He showed them contempt. That's what I got through verse 15. Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead, Ray. Uh, I'm up. Uh, the, the thing that was interesting, Zoan, uh, I had to look that up. I wasn't sure where that was. And actually, the, the current, current day, uh, word for that is Zan, Z-A-N. And uh, Zan is uh, actually in uh, the uh, 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 in Cairo. I just did something on my computer screen. Are you still are you still hearing me? Yeah, we're hearing you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I we're love it. I just did something so, incredibly stupid. I don't know what I did, but I can't see anything now. Okay, so uh, it's in Egypt. Zan is in Egypt, and, and it's it's where uh, 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 current day uh, Cairo is. So anyway, that was the capital city of the, of the time. And it is uh, and, and well, yes, more more or less, uh, uh, and, and all of that. I, I, I love that that we open up with eleven, where it basically it's 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 what what fools the officials of Zone are. Pharaoh's wisest counselors, unenlightened counsel. Um, and again, when you when you begin to look at what's going on in our own government right now, we all have to ask ourselves, who's really running our country? Because <laughs> the geriatric grandpa that, that's 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 sitting behind the desk occasionally when he's not on vacation, um, I can't or being can't seem to manage to even complete a sentence. Um, you know, uh, he doesn't seem to know which way the exit off a stage is. Um, he's, uh, it's really sad. It would, in most cases, folks would call what's happening to that poor man, uh, uh, elder abuse. That's true. Because Absolutely. he, he's just, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's a poster child for assisted living. And, and yet, so, so one must ask the question, so, who is running our country? And then it comes back to these uh, these uh, fools that are telling us that that uh, yeah, well, electric cars are the answer because they don't use gas. Well, they haven't. Uh, obviously, these aren't even checker players. 
more or less chess players. I mean, they they can't think even one move ahead, not not to say three or four moves ahead. Right. Of of oh, that's right, and we have to generate electricity with something. Uh, uh, oh yeah, that's right. We're having a, a real spate of cold weather in the United States right now. You know what? Batteries don't cold work weather. below zero. Um, I mean, there's there's all kinds of things that we just didn't quite think through. Uh, and and I just use these as is just the the most obvious of uh, of examples uh, in all this. The the kind of counsel that our leaders are getting, and and I mean, it's anybody's guess who's really. Um, Who's really running the, uh, the the country at this point in time uh, and, and all that? But uh, uh, so so, I guess the point of all this is is that is that Yah completes the work that he's doing in this judgment on Egypt. That that first he demoralizes the people, then he, he then he wrecks the economy to the point where people are really desperate, and then after that. Oh, by the way, he has the people on top that are making the policy decisions who could actually maybe help the people, could actually maybe solve some problems. Um, he gives them all uh, uh, purple hair and red red rubber noses. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and cuts and, off various and organs they, they all don't use, too. On, they go on. I, I'm, reminded of, I'm reminded of the guys, and I can't remember their name. This is this was back in the 1970s. I think it was the University of... Of, of Wisconsin, uh, that uh, they uh, they ran for student government on the shovel and pail platform, and they made all kinds of outlandish and outrageous promises about what they were going to do. And they said, oh, we're going to bring the Statue of Liberty to whatever the lake is that's close to the university there. And uh, somehow they won. And they thought, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We made all these campaign promises that we can't keep. <laughs> the the, the, po- the po- politician's ultimate dilemma. I Oh, my God, I won. Now I have to make good on what I said. And uh, they managed they managed somehow to get a sculpture out on the ice at one point in time. It was pretty funny. But it but it ushered in this this whole student government thing that went on for several years. They were presidents of the student association at this university that basically was um, they were there to be the Monty Python laughing stock of all student governments, and they did a really fine job at it. It was really entertaining at the time and, <laughs> and all of that. But again, it's it just nonsensical things, crazy promises, stuff that wasn't thought through uh, and, and all of this. And I, I think uh, as uh, MP was pointing out that, that uh, many of the sages of the past looked at all of this and said, yep, these are exactly what the people that were advising the Pharaoh of that point in time uh, were all about. And that uh, really basically that this, this, this spirit of, um, I don't even know what to say, spirit of dizziness, this, this kind of, uh, they likened it under a, a person who's so drunk that he's wandering, he's stepping and falling in his own vomit. If that gives you an idea <laughs> of how be out of touch with reality these folks are. And again, that's 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 where we are. I mean, for the German government, which is normally uh, they're they're one of our staunchest European. I mean, for them to be doing this with diesel fuel and all of that. uh, Anyway, I I think all this, it doesn't uh, the 
folks in the in the audience understand what's going on with our political leaders. They are devoid of of normal rational thought. I think insane is a term I like to use because well, it's hard to come up with anything else. In DC that still have brain, but not very many. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. So okay. that that's my that's my comment at this point in time. Let's let's move on then, and we'll read we'll read through the end of the chapter or almost. And um, it says, "In that day, that's an always an interesting phrase. In that day, Egypt will be like women, and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of Yahuwah Zevuot, which He waves over it. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of Yahuwah Zevuot, which He has determined against it." And it continues on, in that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by Yahuwah Zevuot. One will be called the city of destruction, and the notes say that some Hebrew man- manuscripts uh, essentially read uh, a word, uh, asedek, which of course we recognize as the root word for righteousness, or at least related. Um, so the city of righteousness, interesting. Uh, I guess maybe that would be um, exactly what the left would do to a city of righteousness, is make it into a city of destruction. In that day, it says, there will be an altar to Yahuwah in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to Yahuwah at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to Yahuwah Zebuot in the land of Egypt, for they will cry to Yahuwah because of their oppressors or the oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Now, this is where this seems to part from a lot of things that we've been talking about, if in that day at least means something that is still ahead. By the way, I did some looking myself, and uh, most scholars certainly agree that um, a lot of this hasn't happened, and that's true of several of the things we're going to see today. Um, maybe there are, uh, if you if you uh, search hard and, and dig deep, and, and MP kind of indicated some things associated with Sennacherib, but it doesn't look to me like it's a precise fit. But um, especially this part, where they will basically cry out, uh, this is Egypt that will cry out. Uh, does that mean that America is going to have this great revival? I, you know, I know there are those that are, that are suggesting it will happen. I'd say, uh, wouldn't that be wonderful? I'll certainly be surprised. And then it says, then you will be known to Egypt. Yeah, and the Egyptians will know Yahuwah in that day, and they'll make sacrifice and offering. Yea, they'll make a vow to Yahuwah, and get this, and they'll do it. They'll perform it. And Yahuwah will strike Egypt. He will strike and heal it. Uh, they will return to Yahuwah, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. So this is amazing stuff. Uh, we'll finish it up, and then I'll go, well, I'll go to UMP this time. That day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will come into Egypt, and the Egypt's, uh, Egyptian into Assyria. And the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. And that day Israel will be one of three, with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land. Whom Yahuwah Zebuot shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So, I guess my, my singular comment here would be, uh, no surprise, uh, the, a lot of the sages that say this are not, not sages, but uh, modern day commentators essentially that say, uh, this uh, didn't happen in history, uh, so and since it didn't happen in history, and it certainly didn't happen and now, must be some future event, maybe associated with the second coming and so forth. All right, MP, go ahead, take it away. All right, I'm going to cover verse 16 to 19 here. Uh, there are five mentions of Yahweh in the last ten verses. This is Yah Yeshua leading the ch- the charge of his saints in battle. The opening phrase of this part of the chapter, in that day, is speaking of the day described in verses 11 to 15, 
before it gets back to prophesying the end of days scenario there. Now, in the history of Egypt, Israel, that I have witnessed and can remember, some of these scenarios have been at least, seen rather, at least, partial fruition. Israel gave uh, Egypt a pretty good whooping in 1967 and 1973. But Israel hasn't, uh, wasn't about colonizing anywhere. They just wanted to have a secure homeland and would not take as possession any land that belonged to another nation in perpetuity. I truly think that's how the Hamas-Israel war that we are witnessing today will eventually end, if indeed what we are witnessing today is not the final Gogu-Magog war, which is a big if, in my humble opinion. I am hoping that this is not the final Gogu-Magog war, but I am also mentally prepared for it being such. Now, verse 17, as I said right up there, in verse 16, or my commentary in verse 16, has seen as at least partial fruition, and the war Hamas brought against Israel in the final day of Israel's highest holy days of the year 2023 may have been just the beginning. Hamas has done some major damage, but nothing like what Israel has been raining down on them ever since. It was truly a sneak attack for which Israel was not prepared Though they should have been, it's not like it hadn't happened before. Hamas has no real imagination, nor do they have any real oh, righteousness at all. Anyway, how Egypt may not, now rather, Egypt may not, may not be involved in any way with what's happening in the land today. But it is a possibility. And if it is, what we're seeing now may be a rehearsal of what our passage is saying. Azamra has this on verse 17. I might not be able to get it all out. No, you're not going to get any of it out, I'm afraid. We'll be back, folks. Then God breathe And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday the Lord turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to stay, and we know what I'm fighting for.
Welcome back, folks, to the last segment of the Torah Teachers Roundtable today, and we're going to finish up, I think, Chapter 19 of Yeshayahu, or Isaiah. Uh, when we interrupted MP, he was just about to well, wax eloquent right there at the bottom of the hour. Uh, so uh, take it over, Mark, and uh, pick up where you left off, which was basically just starting. Me? Eloquent? Well, okay. anyway. Sorry. I'm going to start back at verse 17 here. <laughs> Verse 17, as I said a, a few minutes ago, has been at least a partial fruition, and the war of Hamas brought against Israel on the final day of Israel's highest holy days of the year, 2023, may have been just the beginning. Hamas has done some major damage, but nothing like what Israel has been raining down on them ever since. It was truly a sneak attack for which Israel was not prepared Though they should have been, it's not like it hadn't happened before. Hamas has no real imagination. Well, and they now, basically knew, too. Egypt may not... In, I'm sorry, say that again? Oh, I, I was going to say, well, the, the evidence all says that the Mossad knew, uh, the upper ranks, if not the, uh, the the field commanders, knew that it was coming, and they were, they allowed it to happen. The invasion, I'm Is talking that about. right? Yes. See, this is the first I've heard that. Seriously? And, and, but I don't put it past them. Okay, now, okay. may not be involved in any way with what's happening in the land today, but it is a possibility. And if it is, what we're seeing right now may be a rehearsal for our passage, of what our passage is saying. Azamra has this on verse 17. And the land of Judah shall be a trembling to Egypt. Everyone to whom it is mentioned shall be afraid because of the counsel of Hashem Sebaoth. Okay, Yat Sebaoth, verse 17. Radak explains that those Egyptians remaining in their own land would be stunned when they would hear of the downfall of Sennacherib's armies at the very gates of Jerusalem, and having witnessed the destruction of Egypt by his hands, they would know that only Hashem could have cast him down and that their own downfall could only have been brought through uh, about through his counsel. That end the Azamra quote, quote there. Now, I can't add to that, so I will continue. Verse 18 is kind of interesting in light of the last three and a half months. In that day, there will be five cities in Egypt that will be under Israel's control and will swear allegiance to Yad Sevaot. One of those cities is called Ir Heres, the city of destruction. TSK has this note on the word destruction there. The Hebrew Heres, or the sun, instead of Heres destruction, which is also the reading of Aquila, Theodosian, and the Syriac. Fifteen manuscripts and seven editions have Heres as the sun, agreeable with a bunch of other people. And the, including the Vulgate, while the Chaldee makes in, takes in both readings. And the LXX says, Polis Asadek, the city of righteousness, uh, a name apparently contrived by the party of Onias, I don't know who that is, to give credit to, to his temple. As, however, Peres in Arabic identifies a lion, Conrad Icenius is of the opinion that the uh, the place here mentioned is not Heliopolis, 
as is commonly supposed, but Leontopolis in the Heliopolitan gnome, it says. It actually says gnome. I don't even know what a gnome is. As <laughs> well, it's probably not what I'm thinking. It's termed in the letter of Onias. Like Fauci. I'm sorry, say that again? It's probably not a little, uh, you know, treasonous uh, doctor giving people injections like Fauci. Oh, could very well be. Anyway, the whole passage from this verse to the end contains a general intimation of the propagation of the knowledge of the true Elohim in Egypt and Syria under the successors of Alexander and the early reception of the gospel in some countries. Now, here's me. A great light that rules a day is one of the first physical creations of Yah in Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 19. I'm not going to read those. Verse 19 says that an altar to Yah will be in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar in the border thereof, which I take as meaning uh, on the Israeli side of the midst of Egypt. I think there will be an altar to Yah and just to the north side of that area of the land. Azamra on this, on the five cities in the midst of Egypt. Here's what they got to say. On that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan. That's in verse 18. To explain this verse, Rashi cites Seder Olam, chapter 23, which states that after the fall of Sennacherib, King Hezekiah rose and released all the captives from Egypt and Cush that the Assyrian king had brought with him in chains to Jerusalem. They then took upon themselves the kingship of heaven, i.e. the seven universal laws of the children of Noah, and returned to their own lands, building an altar to Hashem in Egypt in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in verse 19. Radak, on verse 18, explains that because Mitzrayim and Canaan were brothers in Genesis 10 and verse 6, and the land of Canaan fell to Israel, the Egyptians viewed the Israelites as aliens. But after witnessing the miracles done for them, they would speak their language as if it was the language of their own brother, the language of Canaan, because they would then see the Israelites as brothers. The Talmudic sages saw in the prophecy of an altar to Hashem in Egypt an allusion to the altar of Beit Honyo, built there by Honyo, the son of Shimon Hatzadik. That according to Menachos 109b. That's what I got through verse 19. Some of it's kind of unfathomable to us, <laughs> just, just like that. But uh, it's it's really interesting stuff that this was going on 3,000 years ago. Okay, this stuff was was being discussed 3,000 years ago, and we got a we got a good record of it uh, from Azamra. Anyway. That's what I got through verse 19. Okay. Go ahead, Ray. Well, okay, so you got to ask yourself. Here we've been reading for the first 15 verses about Egypt or the world, uh, uh, however, Egypt then, Egypt now, and the walloping it's going to get and why it's going to get a walloping and how it's going to get a walloping. And then here we are again in, in this amazing fashion of Ishiyahu. 
in the midst of that, we have a 180 degree reversal. Yeah. In beginning in, in verse 16 and going to verse yep. uh, 25, where it talks about now how Egypt is going to be blessed. And you're just going, well, wait, you know, this, I, what? Yeah. What is going on? No. Anyway, so I, I've got to, I've got to ask this question. So what is the purpose of the ultimate purpose of correction or chastening or judgment? Exactly. What's the purpose of that? Teshuvah. What's Yah's purpose? Teshuva. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. To... Right. Yep. Right, Teshuvah right. Reward for doing it. Right. He, he's, he doesn't delight in punishing, although lots of folks seem to think the God of the Old Testament does. Not true at all. I, I think his purpose in that is to be restorative. It's to get your attention. It's right. to get you to turn around. It's to get you to do something different. So I see verses 1 through 15 is being the publication of the correction. Okay, you know, Johnny, if you don't clean up your room, you're going to lose your bike privileges. You're not going to be able to go to the skating rink tomorrow. You're not going to do that, you know, whatever the story is and all that. But if you do clean up your room, not only will you get to do those things, but your buddies get to come over and we're going to have ice cream and, you know, so on and so forth. It's it's sort of one of those things to me that helps uh, uh, that that helps uh, frame part of this. So I, I guess then I've got to ask this this other question. If, if Egypt here was uh, if this did happen in the past and it sounds like it didn't. And yet, as a. Uh, MP mentioned, I noted that uh, there was a high priest right, uh, and I think it was the year 1 or 2 BC, who was Onias, oh, I know it as Onias, O-N-I-A-S, who, uh, they, uh, who was in Egypt at that point in time and petitioned Cleo, the, the government, Cleopatra, and, and, and all of that, wanted to build a temple in uh, in Egypt to the Hebrew God, this, that, and the other thing, and was given leave to do that. So that altar that's spoken about there, there is a past fulfillment of that. It was destroyed ultimately by um, uh, the Roman emperor that, that destroyed the temple in 70. It was destroyed in like 73 or 75 um, in, in when the, the Romans were routing the, the land of, of the Jews at that point in time. So, so that was there, but this, this notion of, so why, why do we want to have an, why do we want to have an altar there? Well, an altar is a place of reconciliation. It's a place where people can get back and can get right with God, if, if you will. It's also a sign of a, of a witness that we're saying we believe in this God because we've made an altar here for him. Um, at those points there, there's a, uh, 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 an altar facilitates a, a place of prayer, or so you can have a speaking relationship with Yah. If you're having a speaking relationship with Yah, then hopefully revelation will come from that. And literally, we know that, that in many verses it says, and, and you will know the Lord. Well, that's revelation. That's when he opens up his wisdom to you and lets you know his things. Finally, that... Uh, that it's a place where the people can be of service to him and to themselves and to other folks that are in need. And, and it also provides, uh, there's some, uh, 
providential uh, uh, discipline involved in having something like that. It's it's it it, it allows a, a complex like that allows that to happen. Well, when I count through that, we've got we've got five different things. Are those the five cities? Maybe I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it's a place of prayer, revelation, service, and all this. The one thing that I see, though, being kind of a worldwide thing, why would God step in? What what is he what is he upset about with us? It, it's basically that that uh, that uh, that uh, we have gotten to the point where uh, the world is no longer uh, uh, looking to God. For any kind of answers, the real the, the the world is in opposition to to Yah, into God, and they're looking to do everything again, as I had said before, uh, in the time of Babel, they wanna they wanna solve all their own problems. They wanna they they they, they they're saying you know who's this? I don't I don't want to know God. We don't need to know God. Darwin told us better. Uh, the geologists know better. The astronomers know better. Uh, all this kind of thing. We have to find it. <laughs> and this is the reason that God steps in to say, no, I think you've gotten that wrong. And so that, that's at least what I'm seeing happening in, in this segment of scripture is, is we see the things and there's places that we've not yet, uh, uh, read, but, but he's gonna, all of a sudden we're talking about, Languages are going to, to, we're going to be able to understand one another. There's going to be, we're going to be able to work together. We're going to be able to do all these things. But again, uh, I think in the final analysis, Isaiah is trying to, to demonstrate to the people of Israel at this time, because historically, Egypt kept saying, we want to be your buddies right now. We, we want to, we'll, We'll go up against the Assyrians. Uh, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll be your allies. We'll do these things. And I think he's trying to say, you guys are going to trust these knuckleheads. They yeah. can't even run their own country. Why are they, why are you letting them run yours? This is what the Ukrainians ought to be saying. Why are we trying, why are we trusting Ice Cream Joe? I mean, he can't even run his own country. What makes you think that he can help us? You know, uh, that's really what the Israelis need to be saying right now. Why are we listening to stinking blinking? Why are we, you know, why are we listening to these people? They've got their own problems and they've got worse problems than we do in many ways. So anyway, that's kind of my take on on, on this segment. OK, uh, let's see. We got about six minutes left. Um, we read the end through the end of the chapter. MP, you got anything else you want to add? And um, we can continue into chapter 20 or we can uh, uh, we can save that for next week and just kind of wrap up where we what we've been seeing so far. Well, let's uh, let's stay where we're at right now. I've yeah, got, uh, I've got some stuff on the rest of the chapter. So good. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Ahead. Let's because uh, next week we go into a whole, a whole different place. You got it. Yeah. Yep. OK. Yeah. OK. In verses 20 to 22. Okay, um, the five cities and the altar and the pillar in verses 18 and 19 show us, in my not so humble opinion, that in the millennial reign of Mashiach, Egypt and Israel will be allies. They'll be brothers, even sharing a language, just to say that we did. But it looks like Egypt may have some hesitancy to trust Israel and Yah as allies as there is what I can see as a test of Egypt's commitment 
to the arrangement with Israel and Yah. Egypt will think that Yah, Israel, have abandoned them as to an oppressor, in verse 20. But as soon as Mitzrayim calls out to Yah for deliverance from the oppressors, plural, Yah delivers. And Mitzrayim settles down in Yah, in my not-so-humble opinion, and lives in a three-way contract. Egypt, Yah, Israel. Three-way contract. In verse 21, Egypt will know, Yada, that Yah and Yah shall Yada Egypt in that day. Egypt will bring their offerings to Yah, and Yah will accept them, as he does Israel's. Egypt will vow vows to Yah and bring offerings and oblations to Yah, and they will be faithful to him and also, I think, to their brother in Yah, Israel. Now, after what I just read in verse 21, I find it hard to believe that Egypt will backslide enough to have Yah smite them. What I would turn, smack them upside the head in verse 22. The word translated smite is the Hebrew 5062, uh, nagah, and it means to strike a heavy blow or injure. But the very next word is rafa, uh, Hebrew 7495, and it means to loosen or heal. So he gives them a smack on the head, and then he heals them. That's what it sounds like. Of course, this is probably more a gentle correction than a severe punishment, but some individuals may get a more severe rebuke than others, depending on the seriousness of their infraction. Now, that's what I got through verse 22. You want me to keep on? Uh, Ray, I can cover the rest of the chapter if you'd like. Let's ask Ray. Uh, the only thing that I'd say, and then we'll let him uh, uh, MP finish up, is I think that this is a, a – uh, you make a really good point about – about Egypt, you know, when we look at the nations that come against Israel in uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, Gogu, Magog, and all of that, Egypt is not listed. Yeah. Uh, they are not listed. They are not one of the ones that comes against. And I think that there is this this ultimate reconciliation that God is looking to perform between Israel and Egypt. You know, originally in the time of the Exodus, Moses said to them, let my people go. But right. now, the, the, now, based on what I'm seeing, if this reconciliation is, is grand enough, Egypt is, will become part of his people. Oh, yeah. And then that is, that's the whole complete 360 of that, of that thing right there. Instead of them being slaves and that's being asked to be let go, they will become part of the people. So yeah. I, I'm agreeing with your commentary there. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Go on, MP, finish it up. Okay, then let's go with uh, 23 to 25. In verses 23 to 25, we are told that a highway uh, um, will connect Mitzrayim and Assyria and that it will go through Israel. I would assume it will be the normal trade route through Israel, the present-day Syria, uh, which has plenty of water, the Yarden and the Euphrates rivers, and relatively easy inclines to traverse. The end of verse 23 is very interesting. It says, The Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. They're going to be partners. Now, my question is exactly whom are both of these nations serving? 
My guess is that they are both serving Yah through service to Israel. I could be I could be mistaken, but I don't think so. On that day, it says in verse 23, there shall be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Egypt shall serve with Assyria. The Egyptians would know God's power from having heard what had happened to Sennacherib's armies, while the Assyrians would know it through their first-hand experience of the blow dealt to them by Yah's angel. According to Metzadas David, here's what they have to say. On that day, Israel shall be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, in verse 24. Rashi explains, At that time, there was no other people in the world more important than Egypt and Assyria, while Israel were lowly in the days of Ahaz, that's the king of Judah, and Hosea ben Elah, the last king of Israel. And the prophet says that through the miracle that would be performed for Hezekiah, the name of Israel would be magnified and they would be as prestigious prestigious as any one of these kingdoms on account of the blessings and greatness they would enjoy. In that day, Israel will be the main power broker and will fight alongside both Egypt and Assyria or vice versa. They with Israel and all will prosper via their own industry and the spoils of whomsoever tries to attack them from whichever direction they come. If Russia slash China wants to come against Assyria, which either of those two nations would encounter first, in that day, the alliance of Egypt, Assyria, and Israel will pretty much just swat Russia and China like a fly. Not because Israel, Egypt, and Assyria are all that, but because Yah is all that and a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. And he has his back, front, right, left, up, down, and every other side you can describe. Okay? And notice that also that in verse 24, Israel is the third that has both and the other ends backs. Okay? He, they're, in, they're in the center. Egypt and Assyria are on either side, and each of them has the other's backs. This is really, really cool. I will not, it will not take long for this triumvirate to dispatch any invader, because Yah will bless their every endeavor that is in his service. So Yah ends the chapter with his blessing on all three nations. Egypt, his people, Assyria, the work of his hands, and Israel, his inheritance. And I'll close this chapter with this Azamra quote. Actually, we're going to close the show with a uh, little bit of music here. So uh, thanks, folks. Until next week, and uh, Shabbat Shalom.